Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whenever you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guys. We explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. If you've been joining us so far in Season 5, you heard our first episode in the Title IX at 50 series on focusing on Missouri, looking at not only the introduction of Title IX as legislation and its early passage in the 1970s and its impact going forward, but also of many of the individuals who participated in the Missouri Sports and Recreation Oral History Project. For today's episode, we're going to step back in time ever so slightly to look at a forerunner to Title IX uh, that existed for women's athletics from the 1920s roughly until about the 1970s. And this is a concept and a group of events that came up in many conversations in this oral history project uh, known as Play Day. Alternating in name between Play Day, Play Days, and Sports Days, as well as many others, these events were held frequently at high schools and colleges around the state, usually in the spring or the fall, as a way to offer athletic opportunities for women and girls beyond what was typically available at their local schools. At the same time that this was going on, other organizations like the Girl Scouts, the Brownies, the Campfire Girls, and countless other recreational, artistic, and community organizations held similar play days, or field days as they were sometimes called, to bring together students for play in its various definitions. However, Play Days, as it will be defined for this episode, focuses on the athletic meetings for elementary, high school, and college girls and women. I will let former Missouri Southern State University Athletic Director Sally Beard explain it for us. I think I made the decision in junior high that I wanted to go into physical education. I wanted that to be my classroom, and I felt like I could influence students uh, and, and I think I got that inkling that seed was planted as early as junior high. Moving into high school, um, there were no athletic opportunities for girls. The best we could do was an occasional play day where uh, one of the gym teachers, physical education instructors, would load up a few students in their private cars and take them to a university In this case, it was Pitt State. And there was a play day that you spent the whole day doing different activities, anything from badminton to field hockey to basketball to swimming. And you just experienced a variety of activities. And there would be a handful of us that would go. And and I do mean just a very small group when I say a handful. It wasn't like you signed up and it was posted, I think the teachers kind of picked who they went because it was kind of a private endeavor in terms of transportation. It wasn't school-sponsored at all. And by today's standards, there's no way that they could do what (laughs) what they did then because of legalities and uh, fear of litigation and accidents and all that kind of stuff. Going into high school, I was frustrated that I didn't have more opportunities. There was a club Uh, called GAA, Girls Athletics Association, 
where there were some girls who shared an interest in um, being physically active and competition. And I would say that there were probably a dozen members and we would play badminton. We'd play pickup basketball. Uh, and I don't recall how often we met, but probably on a weekly basis. And um, that was the extent of athletic participation, play days, and then either a weekly or a monthly, I, I don't recall, participation through that extracurricular club, GAA. Limited in scope prior to World War I, athletic and recreational training programs flourished as the 20th century wore on. From the 1920s to the 1970s, play days served as one of the major components of women's physical education curriculum. These play days developed largely out of the pedagogical question about the impact of competition and athletics on the lives and health of students. Though intercollegiate activities were still in their early years, reformers questioned the physical and economic hazards of varsity athletic programs that expanded in the first decade of the 20th century. For some, such as J.B. Nash, Associate Professor of Physical Education at New York University, there was the concern that girls' athletics would soon encounter similar problems that were occurring in boys' sports at the same time. Writing in 1928, Nash noted, quote, The conditions relative to girls' athletics are precisely the same as the conditions relative to boys' athletics. The earmarks of bad athletics, whether they involve boys or girls, will always center around intensive coaching of a few, neglect of the many, spectators, gate receipts, state and national championships. Such activities are not educational. They exist to give publicity to the coach, the principal of the school, the president of the university, the alumni, some local newspaper, the town boosters club, and the players, end quote. Added to this, reformers and educators also questioned the effects of competitive sports on women. Physical educator Hazel D. Rex shared the sentiment in a writing on the relationship between athletics and education in 1930. Quote, it is well to remember that there are two extremes to be avoided. One picked varsity team monopolizing all the privilege, and a heterogeneous mixture of girls playing with no regard for degree of skill or progress, end quote. Play days emerged out of these questions and concerns as a means to promote an active lifestyle while also cutting down on the alleged dangers of competition. This fine line between athletics and competition was noted in many early play days advertisements, including the Kirksville Daily Express and News, which declared that a local event at the junior high school was planned, quote, as a means of stimulating interest in physical education activities among girls of this vicinity and also as a means of their becoming acquainted and discarding the spirit of competition, end quote. Likewise, an attendee of a play day at William Woods College in Fulton shared the following with her hometown newspaper, quote, We all had a wonderful time, but the after effects were not so pleasant. Something like rheumatism, I imagine, or it gave that appearance. Play day was given in place of the basketball tournament that had been held annually before. End quote. Beginning in major metropolitan and urban institutions in the 1920s, the structure of play days quickly morphed to fit the needs of local communities, while at the same time upholding the ideologies of athletic engagement and indirect competition. In reviewing select Missouri newspapers, some of the early references to play day emerged in the late 1920s, coinciding with what was occurring nationwide and in many cities and states. In St. Joseph, the YSWCA held a play day at Central High School in 1929 under the supervision of Muriel Lomax, a physical educator for the St. Joseph School District. 
noting that the event was held to encourage, quote, play for play's sake, end quote, the St. Joseph newspapers introduced readers to the concept of play today by referencing the change in physical education curriculum in states like California that replaced interscholastic competition for girls with what is seen as a need for wholesome competition. During the play day, participants from the St. Joseph High School was joined in social and folk dancing and games, volleyball, relays, dodgeball, hare and hound chase, and swimming. By the 1930s, play days had spread to communities around the state. In Winona, a newspaper article in the Shannon County Democrat urged residents to support the newly created play day as a means of local boosterism. Quote, all the girls are working very hard to make the play day a success. This play day is not only for the high school girls, but for the school, the town, and the entire community. It should be considered as a community project and as something to help the community. We hope that every pupil and every teacher of the school and every citizen of Winona is just as much interested in the success of this play day as we are, end quote. Winona held true to this promise for the inaugural play day as 175 girls from Grandin, Hunter, Elsinore, Eminence, Birchtree, and Summersville participated in the festivities that included the following program. 9 a.m., General Assembly in the Gymnasium, Prayer, Singing of America by the audience. A welcome by J.G. Pummel. Division of Teams, Posture Test, 10.30 to 11.30, Volleyball and Soccer. 11.30 to 12.15, Parade through the Business District. 12.15 to 1.30, a lunch and a program featuring several local individuals, stunts, quartets, and songs and tap dancing. 1.30 to 2.30, Basketball and Baseball. 2.30 to 3, Finals. 3 to 3.30, the 50-yard dash and several relays. And finally, 3.30, the General Assembly and the Gymnasium where awards and farewells were given. In addition to local community events, Play Days also emerged in these early years as a connection point between communities and local institutions of higher education. By the late 20s and into the 30s, colleges across the state all held Play Day events on their respective campuses. A participant to the Warrensburg Play Day in 1934 described it as such, quote, Ten girls represented Windsor in the annual play day held at Warrensburg, Saturday, October 13th. Play day is held for girls' physical education classes in the state of Missouri and is sponsored by the women's clubs of Warrensburg. At 9 o'clock, we registered and paid a fee of 30 cents, which included the use of lockers and a dinner at noon. We were then divided into two tribes of Indians. We folk danced, played soccer, dodgeball, volleyball, triangular ball, baseball, and ran relay races. In a posture parade, 15 of the girls were given awards. Since there were between 250 and 300 girls present, it was an honor to be chosen one of the 15. After playing all morning, we marched, singing and yelling, through the town to the Estes Hotel, where we ate dinner. After dinner, we returned to the gymnasium and watched the stunts. Each town was required to give a two-minute stunt. Windsor's stunt was given as well as any other school. Members of the PEO, who were attending a convention in Warrensburg, enjoyed the stunts presented. We were sorry that Mr. Webb could not go, but we were glad to have Mrs. Webb with us. All of us had a good time and want to go again next year. We received much benefit from that one day and, and wish that more of the girls could have gone. End quote. Early on, these colleges realized the benefits of play days, not only for the newspaper headlines, but also the recruiting angle for potential enrollees. Simply put, an institution could not overlook an event that brought hundreds of students from area high schools to campus. As the St. Louis Globe Democrat noted in its brief write-up of a 1939 play day at Southeast Missouri State Teachers College, that included over 350 students from 60-plus area high schools. Quickly, play day structure evolved to allow a time for athletics as well as academic activities. Participants were now given a tour of campus in between rounds of volleyball, basketball, track, and softball. Additionally, university-organized play days served as a connection point between high school and college physical educators as well as the various physical education majors clubs. 
Virginia Gum was one of the physical education major club members at Northwest Missouri State University in the 1950s and remembers how the PEM club structured their play days. I'm inviting other uh, schools to come in and see what we had to offer in the way of PE, you know, uh, and then other things too. But of course, our basic uh, plan was to get them to come for PE majors. Invited them and greeted them, had, you know, people out to talk to them, and they talked to us. Well, of course, we wanted to be able to teach all the major sports, basketball, softball, and volleyball, and uh, swimming. I guess we're trying to get over to them that, that, that we have real good programs for all those, and the major sports were the main thing that we were trying to sell. St. Joe, uh, some of the Iowa schools, and whoever wanted to come, we just sent out invitations to a whole bunch. As the Play Days concept entered the mid-20th century, the issue of separation between athletic competition and organized sports days continued. Notably, the frequency of Play Days declined significantly with the increase in women's athletic opportunities for team and individual sports at the high school and college level. By the 1950s and 60s, athletes called for more chances for participation in sports beyond the annual or twice-a-year Play Days. Yet they were well aware that at its height, play days offered one of the few chances for structured recreational activities for women. The legacy of play days have not been forgotten by those who participated in them, but their efforts to expand educational athletic opportunities ushered in a new era of play. But that is for another episode. To conclude, here are Linda Dollar, Rhonda Reidinger, Reba Sims, and Mary Kay Hunter discussing the limited educational and athletic opportunities available to them in the mid-20th century and the evolution of physical education and competition at the dawn of the Title IX era. I remember my dad. My dad really liked sports. He always tried to get me to play golf, and that didn't really interest me a whole lot because it wasn't a team concept. and I didn't really get to play with anybody. In high school... In the 60s, we, um, we had girls volleyball and girls basketball. That's all we had. We wore a navy blue shorts, a white blouse, <laughs> and a blue penny to compete in. For volleyball and basketball, the most number of games we ever had, well, first we had um, class teams for, you know, your freshmen would go in a play day, you'd go to a high school and play other freshmen from another school, and you might get to play two games, all right? And then they formed a varsity team from the different class teams, so you had a varsity team, and the most varsity games we ever got to play was five, and that was just haphazard. There was no conference or anything, but that that part, being in high school and being able to play some, is where I really started loving sports. But I didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, volleyball, basketball, and I did get to play a little bit of softball in the summer. But as an elementary kid, no. But we didn't have any opportunities that I can recall. Well, ours is... Uh... Uh, limited a lot more than that. Uh, I came from uh, Pennsylvania and uh, large schools too, but we only had one Neil Princeton game, it was called, a year. 
wow. uh, for girls. You know, what sport, sport. is that? <laughs> Just basketball, that was it. Basketball? Yeah, and, and if you were going to be able to play, that you would try out for Yale-Princeton, mm-hmm. you know, and go for there, and that was it. Because they said, uh, uh, I remember the principal saying, uh, girls are too uh, emotional. As if the men never do. I mean, you know. <laughs> he didn't know the rest of it. But Isn't that funny it, that you remembered that? Yeah, I, did. I, I know. I mean, because that was the final answer. <laughs> it started, it stopped things. I did play a little bit of tennis. We played against two schools in high school. And we played, there was just two of us that were on the team. And we got to drive to Neosho and uh, Monette. And we had From competition where? with them. Where'd you live? Well, Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. So it's not too far apart. Right. So we didn't have to travel very far there. But, you know, that, that wasn't anything really in competition. We had fun. I'll put it that way, it was a play day really. Then I come to college, and that's my first time, was then with being a roommate of Mary Jo's. Um, also, there was another gal that worked, and uh, she was a home ec major, but she played softball. She taught me how to play softball, really, hmm. and, um, or taught me the positions of second base yeah. and shortstop. So then I continued on playing softball with uh, a summer team that was sponsored, and it was ASA ball. That was my first competition, really. And that's how my softball evolved, with my love of the game. Thank you for listening to the R. Missouri Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.